Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. As Raymond mentioned in our Rest in Peace series that we started last week, and, and uh, hopefully we made good. It sounds like at least for Raymond, we made good on my promise last week that it was not going to be a morbid and depressing series, that it was going to be encouraging and, uh, and bless us. Uh, so hopefully we can continue to go that way this morning. We started the Rest in Peace series, and we looked at dying poor, dying poor. Can you put that up for us, Raymond? Our poor stood for passing over opportunities repeatedly, right? We saw how God's given us clear direction on how to find rest. But for whatever reason, he gives us the direction, he gives us the opportunities to enter into it, and we pass over it opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And we never find that rest. We saw a couple things. One was disobedience and one was faithlessness, right? So if God tells us to do something and we don't do it, we're disobedient. And if God provides an opportunity, but we don't believe it's going to bear fruit in our lives, that means we lack faith, right? So for many of us, we uh, don't have the faith to go to the financial peace class because we don't think it's going to change our lives. That's the reality. Or if we go and we realize that it can change our lives, sometimes we lack the obedience to actually implement what we've learned in the class. The same thing is true in our faith and in our walk with God. Without obedience, without faith, we don't find rest. We don't find hope. We don't find change. We don't find transformation. And uh, God, God is somehow seen to be impotent, that he can't really affect change in people's lives. I think many of us have passed over uh, opportunities in our lives. Raise your hand if you've passed over some opportunities. All right. But hopefully last week what we learned, if nothing else, is that that can change in an instant. In one morning, in one afternoon, in one evening, all you have to do is say, Lord, I'm going to just be obedient. I'm going to step out in faith. And then you can begin to uh, take those opportunities and take advantage of those opportunities. We can go from being poor to being rich in a moment. Just like that. In Exodus chapter 33, we saw last week, verse 14, God said to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Say rest. Rest. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Say rest. rest. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Right? 
So in the Old Testament, you see the Lord talking to Moses, saying, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to give you rest. In the New Testament, we see Jesus say, just come to me. I'll rest you. I'll take that burden off of you. And then I love what he says. He says, I'll give you rest for your soul. That soul rest. We ain't talking about just a little extra sleep. Many of us lost an hour, <laughs> right? People are going to come rolling in in about 20 minutes to church. Hopefully we don't miss the rapture when it, when it happens. But we, we needed that hour, and we're going to complain all week. When you're tired at work this week, you're going to be complaining. Daylight savings. It's all daylight savings fault. I need rest. <laughs> what we need is rest for our souls. Somebody say amen. amen. See, our rest and our peace, it can only be found in the Lord. If we look elsewhere for it, all we end up with is tattoos and tombstones. Let's say rest in peace on them. <laughs> That's all you get. That's all you get. There's no real rest there. There's no real hope there. It's plastered all over everything, but we're not really walking in it. We need to seek the Lord, and he will provide real rest for our soul, for our spirit, right? We had this uh, in week one. I talked about these strings that would be attached from different locations. Every message that we have is starting from one place, but they're all leading to the cross, right? Uh, we're seeking out the rest of the Lord. So wherever you're starting this morning, maybe like we talked about, it's in your finances. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's with your kids, right? Maybe it's, I mean, God knows we have a lot of issues, circumstances, addictions, things that we need to uh, overcome. Maybe it's in your spiritual walk with God where you're saying, man, I wish I could read more. I wish I would pray more. I wish I understand the, the Bible. I wish I could be more faithful in, in whatever area of my walk with God. You start from that location, but the, the destination is the cross. Somebody say amen. amen. That's where the hope is found. That's where the rest is found. That's where the change and transformation is found. We said that similarly, uh, this series that leads us through March, when we get to April, the first uh, Sunday in April is Easter, and that's where the ultimate uh, rest is provided for us. It's in the resurrection, yeah. right? So we're going to seek it all month. You're going to pray about your situations and circumstances, but we know we're going to the cross. We know we're going to Easter. We know that there's going to be some things that will die and be put to rest, but we also know some things are going to be resurrected and breathe life into. Hopefully, you're ready for that. I know I'm ready for that. I hope that uh, as you come in and out of the church, always, but specifically during this month, that you're, you're planning and preparing for something great to happen over the next couple of weeks. Something to be birthed in your life uh, come Easter. So the first few strings that we saw, like you see in this picture that were headed to the cross, um, <clears throat> were about the truth of who Jesus is. We looked at the word of God last week, and then we looked at baptism you know, those pictures that, that you saw, they don't do justice of, of what we experienced last week and what God's blessed us to be able to experience pretty consistently, you know, uh, to watch people go all in. You know, this morning, you could have had the excuse of, of the rain and all kinds of stuff, but as you look around, many of the spectators have gone back to life as, as usual, right? Back to business as usual, right? When, when the show is over, who still remains, right? It's those who have been baptized, those who have been changed, those who have been uh, transformed. And it's not to say that, that there's anything wrong with those folks. Hopefully they went back to their own churches and they're serving God passionately. But if you read through the scriptures, what happened? Jesus would show up, there'd be a show. Everybody can eat. Everybody gets fish and bread as much as you want. And they're all there for it. And then what happens the next day? Twelve. So last week, we, we saw some of that stuff, and we looked at baptism for what it really is. And uh, unfortunately, but this is the way it always is, some people passed over an opportunity repeatedly for another chance. 
Last week saw that Peter got up and he preached and he told all these people, uh, you're the ones that crucified Christ. They didn't run from that truth. What they said was, what do we have to do? We've been cut to the heart. What do we need to do? And Peter said, you need to repent. You can't just overlook what you did. Repent and be baptized. Go all in. Don't wait till tomorrow. And they did that. We also saw Philip. He was led by the Spirit. He overtook this chariot. A man was trying to understand the Word of God. He couldn't understand it. So, so Philip uh, comes rushing in. He says, do you understand? He says, no, help me. So he told him, this is who Jesus is. This is where the cross is. This is why he died. He rose from the dead. And you can have newness of life. And you can be born again. He said, I want it right now. They said, pull over. They jumped out. And he was baptized. <laughs> See, they all started from different places. But they were led to the cross. And then they were led right into baptism. All of those poor people became rich after one encounter, right, with the truth about who God is. And then what they had to do is they had to mix it with faith and then they had to take action. Many of us have encountered the truth about God. Maybe we're wrestling with our faith. Many of us have encountered the truth about God and we truly have faith, but we have not mixed it with any action yet. Say, do something. Do something. You got to do something. <laughs> It's not just going to happen to us or for us. God leads us right to the place, and he says, okay, now, lay your life down. Wouldn't it be nice if, if you're like, Lord, I really want to get baptized? And he's like, okay. And then you came to church, and he just picked you up and levitated you out of your chair, and then dunked you in the water, and then took you back, and he just controlled your life. That's not how it works. <laughs> we got to put some action to it. Those people that did that, though, I don't want to lie to you. Not only the people who did it in this church today, but that Ethiopian eunuch in the chariot with Philip and all those people who heard Jesus, or excuse me, they heard Peter talk about Jesus and they repented and got baptized. Their life didn't get perfect. They still had drama. They had highs and they had lows. They had victories and they had defeats. They had steps forward and they had steps back. They had trial and tribulation. How do we know? Because that's what the Bible says all of us are experiencing when we put our faith in Christ. But one thing I also know for sure about them is that they found rest. In one particular area, they were no longer chasing after salvation. They were no longer chasing after being right with God, right? That's the rest we really want. We can keep working. We can keep doing all the stuff. And, and like Raymond said, we got a message, a brother going to, going to work on Saturday and saying, hey, guys, I just feel the love of God right now. But you know what? In about a month, I'm going to get a text message like, man, I can't stand this job. And I can't, you know, that's life. That's life. But man, that rest that we finally get from chasing after salvation, when that's over, it's over. That's the one that matters most. Hebrews 4.10 says, He who has entered God's rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Say that rest. Say that rest. That rest is the rest from, from chasing after salvation and chasing after getting right. How many of you got tired of that? I know I got tired of it. But I just want to be good for a while. And you chase after being good and making good decisions, right? And doing the right thing and helping people. And then you go back to your old ways. You're like, man, I'm going to chase after it again. He says, once you've really found it and you've entered his rest, you cease from that work. You don't ever have to do that again. Never again in your life. There's no rest and there's no peace like that rest and like that peace. So this morning, we're going to move on from dying poor and we're going to move into a focus on your death certificate. <laughs> it's getting better and better. From dying poor to your death certificate. If someone dies, it doesn't matter if you're their parent, it doesn't matter if you're their spouse, it doesn't matter if you're their kids, it doesn't matter if you're the next of kin. Um, without a death certificate, nothing can progress. 
They won't release the medical records. They won't let you do funeral and burial plans. They won't release the body to you. They won't release funds. You got to have an official death certificate in order for that, that process to keep progressing. Why is that? Because if somebody's not officially dead, all those things still belong to them. That's their money. That's their car. That's their house. There's got to be a death certificate. On the flip side, once a person's death is confirmed, all accounts have been settled, right? They lost all their rights to the things that they used to own when they were alive. They don't belong to them anymore. Any debt that they had, for the most part, has been paid. They definitely aren't going to pay it. <laughs> Sometimes there's a fight over the things that the dead left behind, unless they only left debt behind, and nobody wants to fight for that. But kids and siblings will fight over uh, the inheritance that their parents left behind, right? If there's property, right, the bank might fight over taking that property back if there's still a large amount due on it. If there's credit card debt, hopefully you didn't co-sign for somebody because that means that debt becomes yours. And they're going to fight over what that person used to have. Now we're going to apply that to you. But as far as the debt are concerned, they own nothing and they owe nothing. Job 121 says it like this. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. There's a freedom, and there's a rest, and there's a peace in death. You don't own anything, but you don't owe anything. You came into the world naked, you're going back out of the world naked. You don't get to take anything with you. In many ways, we're finally free from chasing after things, chasing after owning something, chasing after maintaining, right? Chasing after owing. You know that's what most of us spend our lives doing? We're chasing to try to get something. And then once we get it, we have to chase and work hard and do all this stuff just to maintain it. Yep. <laughs> right? And then we have this debt and we're chasing after the means to, to take care of what we owe now. That's crazy. <laughs> that's like, that's the American dream though. <laughs> think about it for a second. And then think about the peace of dying. <laughs> no more debt. I don't own anything, but I don't owe anything. I'm not chasing after anything, right? This is what Paul says. This is Galatians chapter 2, verse 19. He says, For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. Think about that for a second. What's happening here? Paul's saying that through the law, the Old Testament law, I was, I was trying to to live according to the law, and it killed me. It was so hard that all I found in it was death. But the great thing about dying to the law and to the requirements and to the religion is that I was able to actually find life in my relationship with God. He's saying the same thing I'm talking to you about with our lives and our deaths, that all of a sudden he found that everything he owed had been paid. Everything he was chasing, he was no longer chasing it. He died to all that, and now he found life in God. Let me read um, the next scripture from Galatians 2.19. He says, I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. See, the dead of sin killed him, but he was born again in Christ. He owed this debt that the law says has to be paid, and it killed him. It took his life. 
But he was born again in Christ. He has this new life with no debts. Everybody in this room breaks those laws. And the payment for breaking the law of God is death. It doesn't matter how many you broke, how often you broke them, or for how long you broke them. The payment due is death. It has to be paid. Maybe a better way to say that or to understand it is that death is our final payment for sin. You can sin for a few years. You can sin for your whole life. But at that moment when you die, that's the payment for all the sins that you committed. It has to be paid. The rest of your debts are going to be taken care of, right? But those ones for sin, it has to be paid. You breathe your last breath, that last breath, paid in full, it says. So we live this life of sin, and at the end, our debt for sin is paid with our physical death, and we have this eternal imprisonment in hell. <laughs> That's the story of the American dream. That's the story of any other place that you've ever seen, that you live, you sin, the sin debt has to be paid, you pay a physical debt of your actual debt that pays off that sin, and then you go to prison <laughs> in hell for eternity. However, if you choose to die in Christ spiritually before you experience that physical death, right? Your debt for sin is also paid. But instead of eternal imprisonment, you get eternal life. The debt has to be paid. Somebody say amen. amen. So what we have an opportunity to do when we're living before we die, we get to say, you know what, Lord, instead of waiting till I die physically down there and pay the debt for all the sin that I've lived in and committed, I'd like to just go ahead and die right now spiritually and let Jesus pay that debt for me. Amen. You see how it works? You can be born again and live eternally instead of when that debt is paid. If you didn't know Jesus, you pay with your last breath. And then you go into hell for eternity. If Jesus paid that debt, you get raised in newness of life. You're born again and you go on to eternity with God. But one of those is going to happen and the debt has to be paid. Nobody gets off scot-free. I'm saved and I've thought about it. Like, man, when I'm getting close to dying, let's just go get a bunch of credit, travel the whole world, and just leave the debt for somebody else. <laughs> Erase that from the, the tape, Ray. But it doesn't work that way with our sin. You, can't, you don't get to leave that behind to somebody else. Somebody say amen. Yeah. Listen to Solomon chapter 8, verse 6. It says, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement fire, fire or flame, excuse me. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Does that sound familiar at all to anybody this morning? Amen. So we can have this kind of consuming fire love. It says it's as strong as death. It's, it's as jealous as the grave is, right? But we have to give all the wealth that we have. That's what it said in the last portion of the verse, verse 7 of Solomon 8, 7. It says, if a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. What that means is this, is that in order to get that love and that relationship with God, you have to give everything that you have, all the wealth that you have, anything you have of value, including your life, you have to give it to God. And then he says this, if you do it, though, you'll look back and you'll despise those things. 
You'll say, I can't believe I was holding on to that stuff and I almost forfeited this love that I can have with God. You won't look back and say, hey, that was a pretty good investment. I'm glad I made that decision. You'll say, I can't believe it. I despise those things that I was putting before God. So when we sang that song this morning that says you won't relent until you have it all, that's what Jesus is saying is you got to give it all. Don't come in here and just give me your relationship. Don't come in here and just give me your tithe. Don't come in here and just give me two hours. I will not relent until I have it all. Everything you have, you have to lay it down. And then you get this consuming love that is as strong as death. The same way that death is calling and it will not stop until you die and pay that debt. My love is calling and I will not stop until I give you life and I have all of your life. Romans 8.38 says, Paul again, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the statement of somebody who has given it all and despises everything, and they say, this love that I have now, nothing can separate me from it. Not even death, and not even a blessed life. You know what happens to a lot of people who get saved or I would say, like we talked about last week, or on Wednesday night, I think it was, you can come into the church, you can apply the things that the Bible says, you can get around the men and women of God, and your life will begin to be blessed. That doesn't mean that you're saved. What happens to a lot of people is when they do those things, start coming to church, start reading the Bible, start hanging out with Christians, their life begins to get blessed, and then those blessings separate them from God. Because you've got a few more dollars now. You're happy in your relationship now. You can take some vacation now. Who needs church? I wasn't really in love with God. I was just jacked up and needed a little bit of help and support. Listen to what Paul says. I, though, have been persuaded that neither death nor life, angels or principalities or powers, things present or the things to come. Paul says, I don't care what I'm going through right now, and I don't care what I'm going through in five years. I will be sold out to Jesus no matter what. That's right. <laughs> Things present or things to come, height or depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is another level of love. This is another level of commitment. This is another level of you won't relent until you have it all. You are a seal upon my, my heart and a seal upon my arm. That means you, not only have you changed my heart and you've written your name on it, your seal, like a Roman seal that you put into a letter with a wax, right? That everybody knows this came from Caesar. He says, you put that on my heart, a seal upon my heart. But not only on my heart where nobody can see it, it's right here on my arm. I belong to you. Amen. We can never be separated from that kind of love. Once we found it, not by death and not by life. Here's the key this morning. We have to understand that in order to find that love, we have to be born again. And in order to be born again, we have to die first. Let me say that again. That love that we're talking about this morning, you can only find it if you've been born again. And there's only one way to be born again. You have to die first. If you've died, there must be a death certificate. The song said, there's nothing we want more 
There's nothing we want more. We're all singing it with our hands up. There's nothing we want more. You want it more than your life? You willing to die for it? You willing to lay down your life and the things that have been important to you? The people who are important to you? The things that you desire and you have been seeking after? In Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, the Bible says, they did not love their lives to death. It's one of my favorite scriptures. It says so much. How many words is that? They did not love their lives to the death. Nine words that can change your life. They didn't love their lives to death. You know what that means? Is if you love your life so much that you hold on to it until you die, that means you loved it to death, and then when you die, you have to pay the debt of sin with that debt. But if you don't love your life to death, that means you didn't love it all the way to the end, you laid it down at some point, which means you don't have to pay the debt for sin, and you get eternal life. If you go back earlier in Revelation 12, 11, what it says is they overcame the devil by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to death. That means that's how you get saved. We can't love our lives to death. There can be nothing that we want more than Jesus. You have to lay him down at some point. See, in the world, people refuse to lay their lives down in order to take up Christ. We know that. We see that. And we all used to be there. Somebody say amen. amen. But in the church... Many of us refuse to give everything, even though we know he won't relent until he has it all. What'd you bring in here this morning that you just refuse to lay down? Be honest this morning. What's his name? What's her name? How much do they pay you for overtime? Where do you keep that secret? What are you not willing to do for God in the church with your time? Let me just make you aware he will not relent until he has it all. When you've signed your own death certificate, you're saved and you can begin living the new life that never ends. But that's the only way. You won't be killed. God won't kill you so that he can give you new life. You have to lay your life down and sign your own death certificate. Isn't it getting hard this morning? Dang. But I remember, before I knew these things, I knew these things. Because I remember what it was like to get saved. There was nothing I wanted more. It's literally, you're dead. What good is anything if you're dead? What do you care about if you're dead? What do you need if you're dead? What are you trying to hold on to if you're dead? And then I thank God for those moments in the beginning because now when I look at people and I want to just try to sugarcoat it for them, oh, you can, you can just do this and do that and it's going to be all right. And if you just start doing this and change that a little bit and, and God loves you and it, it's not the truth, you got to die. Everything. Everything. You got to lay everything down. But then you get newness of life. You get born again. You get to start living eternal life. But there's no other entry. If you don't have a death certificate, you don't have new life. I think we should pray. 
Lord, we need your spirit. We need your presence. Give us clarity. Give us understanding this morning, Lord. That the same way with the Old Testament, Lord, where, where it brought death, the same way that Paul said that it, it killed him, Lord, but he found newness of life in you. That's what our desire is this morning. Not to be misled, Lord, or misguided or have the wool pulled over our eyes, Father God, by the enemy, but that we would understand that you will not relent until you have it all. That we have to die, Lord God. And if we've died and we've given everything in order to have you, we can despise those things that used to separate us from you, Lord God. But we've been raised in newness of life. We can never be separated from you again, Lord God. We won't let the blessings that you bring into our life, Lord, cause us to drift away from you, Lord. We'll use those things as an opportunity to give you glory and honor and praise, Lord. You've set your seal upon our hearts. You've set your seal upon our arm, Lord. You have jealousy, and it's demanding as the grave, Lord God. You won't relent until you have it all in our lives, Lord Jesus. Because you love us and there's things that you want to give unto us, Lord God. Let us receive those things this morning, Lord. Let us see beyond the physical realm here in this building this morning and see into the spiritual where you want to minister to us. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right, John chapter 11, verse 11. Jesus is talking. He says, these things he said... And after that, he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps. Say sleep. But I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death. But they thought he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know. He'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. So I have a word of uh, warning, I guess, before I get into what I really want to share about this scripture. The word of warning is what Thomas said. Thomas got caught up in this whole following Jesus thing. And when he finds out that Lazarus is dead, he says, Jesus, well, let's just all go that we, we're going to die too. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> Oh, we want to serve God. We want to be passionate. We want to go on outreach. We want to go on women's events. We want to do all this powerful stuff. Well, you're going to die. (laughs) You're asking for your life to just be taken and given a new life according to what Jesus wants, not what you want. So Jesus tells his disciples, he's not sleeping, which looks a lot like death. He's dead. I thought about this as I was preparing this message and, and praying over it. To me, that's something we need to be aware of as church folks. There are a lot of people in the church who look like they've died, but they're sleeping. (laughs) Think about it. 
See, if you've died, you've given everything to Jesus, and you've been born again, and you've been raised in newness of life, and you're a Christian. But if you're sleeping, you could easily be mistaken as somebody who's died and been born again. They're just sleep. We did a CPR class here in the church a couple of weeks ago for all the children's church teachers. And the first thing that you do when you do CPR is you come into the room and, and we said, check the scene. The scene is safe. Somebody looks like they're dead on the ground. So you want to make sure that whatever happened to them doesn't happen to you. You know the very next thing that you have to do? One of you teachers better know. <laughs> Praise God. You come up to the person that's on the ground and you say, hey, hey, are you okay? Are you okay? Why? Because they might be dead, but they might be sleeping. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to start doing that as the pastor. <laughs> hey, hey, are you really dead or are you just sleeping and you look like you're dead in the church, but there's no real life been birthed in you yet? Jesus says, he's not sleeping. He's dead. Thomas, right now, you're sleeping. You proclaim that you want to go and you want to die. Please believe me, Thomas, you're going to have an opportunity over these next few weeks. Jesus dies. He's resurrected. And you know what? Thomas is still without faith. Isn't he the one that says, if I don't see the hole in his side and the holes in his hands, I will not believe? Because Thomas was sleepwalking for three years. And then what did Jesus say to him? Do not be unbelieving. Believe. Put your hand right here. Touch me. It's real. I've died and I've been resurrected, and that's what I want to do in your life. You have to die, and I'll resurrect you. So Jesus says, he's not sleeping. He's dead. In verse 15, Jesus says, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Why would Jesus say that? Because Jesus knows that if I had have been there and I, I would have touched his life, you guys would have said, I, I healed him. I made him better. His life was messed up a little bit, and, and, I, and I healed that for him. He was blind, and I gave him sight. He was hungry, and I gave him food. He was sick, and I made him well. He says, no, but this is a whole other level. He was dead, and I gave him life. I'm glad I wasn't there so that when we get there, you can see the difference between making somebody's life a little bit better or somebody signing their own death certificate and then me giving them new life. A lot of people think they're coming to Christ, but they're coming to church so their life will get a little better. That's not what the church is about. Church is for dead people who have been raised. Your life might still suck. That's the truth. Look at the stories. This woman's giving her last two mites. The other woman's like, I'm going to bake some bread, and me and my son are going to eat our last meal, and we're going to die. There's plenty of people who really know Jesus, and their life still sucks physically in this world. But in reality, they have faith and hope. If you read through Hebrews chapter 11, it, it talks about all these people who died in the faith without ever receiving what they wanted. I never got married. I never had any resources. I never got a good job. I never bought a house. I never had any savings. My kids and my family was never restored. Because this life isn't what it's all about. The next one is. And he's not trying to hide that from us, but we're trying to hide from the word. Death has to come, and resurrection is truly the only hope. If you're trying to get through this thing without dying, that's not how it works. I'm trying to kill you.
I feel bad for saying as a, hus- uh, or as, as a pastor, as a husband, too. <laughs> like, I was thinking about this. I got to be honest with you guys. So during the preparation from this, for this message, right, I start looking up death certificates on Google, right? And I'm looking up videos and different things. And I thought to myself, man, I hope nothing happens to anybody in my family. They're going to be like, this dude was searching on Google for insurance and death certificates and stuff. I, I'm being honest. I literally thought about it. I'll be in court. I'm like, no, I wasn't trying to kill anybody physically. I was talking spiritually. I'm going to kill everybody. Yeah. I'm really trying to get them to commit suicide. I can't even kill them. they got to kill themselves. Lord, help me. So listen to what, in verse 21, Martha says the same thing that later Mary's going to say, which is the same thing that many of us say. Lord, if you had have been here, my brother would not have died. Just think about that statement. Jesus, the giver of life, the resurrected one, our only hope. If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. And I can just hear Jesus saying, oh, he was going to die regardless. The only question is, was he going to die before he put his faith in me or after he put his faith in me? Martha, Mary, he's going to die. Church. You're going to die. And the only question is, are we going to die before or after we put our faith in Jesus? Jesus says, well, I can hear him saying, right? I showed up for Lazarus when it was best for me to show up for Lazarus. You wanted me to show up for Lazarus when you thought it was best for me to show up for him. You wanted me to come when he was sick. And he was on his deathbed so that I could heal him. I showed up a long time ago. And he put his faith in me so that even though he died, he shall live. See, Jesus shows up when it's best for us. Not when we think it's best for us. You want him to show up right now when you're hurting. When you're angry. When you're frustrated. When you're broke. He's like, I'm trying to show up for you when you'll put your faith in me, not just to rescue you from whatever situation you're in. Those situations are actually helping you to build some desire for help and salvation. The Bible talks about the first being the last and the last being first. I didn't understand those things, but now the people I feel the most sorry for are the people who have it all together, who have the perfect homes and all the resources, and go off to college, and do all that kind of stuff, because it's so hard to get them to understand, man, you're going to die, and you have a debt to pay, whereas broken people understand debt, (laughs) (laughs) and all you have to do is say, hey, you know how your life is? That's how your spirit is. You want me to help you fix that? His name is Jesus, but these other people, they have no point of reference, for what it means to be broken, to be broken. So it's hard to get them to understand that. And then Jesus says things like, the first will be last. Blessed are the poor, right? Come on. He says it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom. Not because their sins are better or worse than ours, just because it's hard for them to understand the need to die and to have to lay their life down. What do you mean? I got it all? And you want me to commit suicide? Sign my own death certificate. Isn't that what he told the rich young ruler? Sell everything you got and follow me. And what'd he say? Nope. So you got Lazarus here. His death certificate is signed. He's been in the grave for four days. After the third day is when decay begins to set in. 
Isn't that why it says that uh, about Jesus? He says, you would not let your son see decay, which is why he rose on the third day. So when you hear Lazarus is in the grave for four days, what it, what it means is he's all the way dead, dead. Decaying has already begun to set in. So this is not a healing. This is a resurrection. He was raised because he died in Christ. He was already saved. His faith was in Christ. His life was hidden in Christ. At some point, he had given everything including his right to his own life over to Jesus. How do we know? We know because that's the only way to get saved. He had to give everything at some point. He had to despise the old life at some point. <clears throat> Lazarus did not follow Jesus like the 12. Somebody say amen. amen. Think about that for a second. The 12 followed Jesus all over the place. Their discipleship was so visible. But then here's Lazarus. He doesn't follow Jesus everywhere that he goes. He lives with his two sisters. <laughs> but look, he was a disciple. His faith was in Jesus. He died and he was resurrected. To me, this is such a good reminder that your walk with God is not about how visible it is. There are people walking with God visibly, but they never die. And there are other people who don't seem to be walking with God very closely or very visibly, but they're like Lazarus. Their life is hidden in Christ. Amen. They'll be resurrected whenever they die. To me, that should be encouraging to some folks here that are like, man, you know what? I don't really want ministry. I don't really want to be seen. I don't really want to do all that other stuff. That's fine if you sign your death certificate and your life is hidden in Christ. It's not okay if you just want to hide in the church and never die. Mark 10, 21, Jesus says, come, take up your cross and follow me. We got to die. That's what that means. That's what he's saying is, listen, I took up the cross, which means I went to it and I died and you have to follow me. Death is inevitable. Jesus said the same thing to Lazarus, or excuse me, to the people who were there when Lazarus was raised from the dead. I believe it's kind of the same thing that he said to Satan when, when he raised from the dead. He, he looks at all the people there, and, and Lazarus comes out of the grave and out of death and into life, and he looks at everybody and says, hey, loose him. Let him go. He was bound. He was dead, but now he's alive and he's free. Loose him and let him go. Jesus dies, right? And death thinks it has its grips on him, right? And he says, no, I've been raised. I've been loosed. And he walked out of the grave. Amen. He walked out of the tomb. Some of us want to be set free without dying first. That's the only way to get loosed. Right. Last couple of things I want to share with you. This is Luke chapter 7, verse 1. I want to talk to you. I want to just share quickly a couple of scriptures about people. And you can see the death certificates being signed this morning. If you're there, Luke 7, verse 1, say amen. 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 Say, I'm dead. <laughs> Luke 7, verse 1 says, speaking of Jesus, when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him, was sick and ready to die. 
So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. For he loves our nation and he's built us a synagogue. Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. For I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick. Now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him, and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her, When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. (laughs) So there's two stories here, right? The centurion and then this young man that had died. The second story, this boy, he's physically died, right? But Jesus raises him from the dead, and it's pretty easy to see what's happening here, right? What we've been talking about all morning. You're dead, but Jesus has the power to raise you back to life. Jesus says, I have power. I have authority over death. And this boy was probably uh, beneath the age of accountability. When you read through the scriptures, it talks about when we're children, like our kids were upstairs, they, they haven't, many of them, reached the age of accountability, which means if they were to die without actually asking for salvation, they'd still be saved because they don't understand their sin. They don't understand what they're doing and how to get right with God oftentimes. The Bible talks about this age of accountability. Unfortunately, it doesn't tell us what it is. The reason I think this, this boy is um, below the age of accountability is it says that even when he raised him from the dead, he gave him back to his mother, right? She's accountable for him. She's weeping, but she's been blessed and healed. This boy who was dead is now alive, right? But I want to focus on the first story, which is a little bit harder to see what's happening and how special it is. Verse 6 said, he was already not far from the house, right? They called Jesus. He's not far from the house. And the centurion sent friends to him saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself. I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. I didn't even think myself worthy to come to you. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And then he goes into this this proclamation about the authority that he has. A centurion has a a regiment of soldiers. He's a Roman uh, commander of a bunch of soldiers. And he says, listen, I know what it's like to have authority. I say, you, go fight on that front. You, go get us supplies. You, come over here. Bring Bring me my armor. Guard me. And they all do whatever I tell them to do because I have the authority. Right? So what he's saying to Jesus is, listen, I know that you have the authority over sickness. Because I know what authority is like when I say something, people do it. All I want you to do is say 
be healed. Think about that for a second. I just need you to say, be healed. And I believe that my servant will be healed. Because the same way that I have authority and I speak to these people and they do it, you have authority over sickness and health. And all you have to do is say, be healed, be healthy, and it'll happen. Then look at this. This Roman centurion. Initially, he sends Jews to find Jesus. These Jews show up to Jesus and they say, listen, you should do something for this guy. He's nice. He takes care of us as Jews. He built us a synagogue where we can pray to God. He's awesome. And that makes sense. He sends them, they talk to Jesus. But when Jesus is on the way, it says he's almost there. It says that the centurion sent his friends. These aren't Jews. These aren't elders from the Jews. These are other Romans. And what do these Romans say when they show up to Jesus? When he was already not far from the house, the centurion centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. Why would these Romans, who are the friends of the centurion, run up on Jesus, who they didn't know, and call him Lord? Because they knew who he was. And you know how they knew who he was? Because that centurion told him who who he was. Because he knew who he was. I believe with all my heart, it's harder to see, but this centurion had already signed his death certificate. Think about how hard it must have been to be a Roman, put your faith in Jesus, this carpenter, hanging out with fishermen, to the point where not only are you going to bless his people, isn't that what the Bible says, those who bless Israel will be blessed? You're not only going to bless his people, but you're going to teach everybody who's under your authority, I don't care what Caesar says, that's God. That's the one that we're going to serve. If Caesar comes, I hope he calls me to his house. But this Jesus, I don't even feel comfortable walking up on him. Somebody's got to go for me. He signed his death certificate. He put his job on the line. He put his friendships on the line. He put everything on on the line in order to serve Jesus or to put his faith in Jesus. Verse 9, listen to how Jesus responds to it. Jesus heard these things and he marveled at them. And he turned around and he said to the crowd that followed him. So now he's talking to all the Jews. He says, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. All the people who should know who I am, who should be serving me, who should feel humbled to be walking so close to me. None of you have faith like this man has. And I've never even met him face to face. See, it's harder to see what the centurion had done. But at some point, like I said, he signed that death certificate. He knew that Jesus was not only the one that had authority over sickness and health, he knew that Jesus is the one that had authority over life and death. Powerful. What do you know this morning? Who is Jesus to you? Is he your friend in time of need? Is he the man that multiplies fish when you're hungry? Or is he the one that you say, this is holy ground, let me take my shoes off? You have the power of life and death in your hands. You've resurrected me because I laid down my life in faith that you would raise me, and you did. I hope that he doesn't look at us like he looked at these, turn around and look at us and say, man, I haven't found this kind of faith. 
You know why? Because he says, I won't relent till I have it all. I won't relent until I have it all. Last story. Mark 5, 22. Some more dead folks. <laughs> Behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue, church folks, came, Jairus by name, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and he begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she'll live. Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him. They thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from the physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but yet she rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and she touched his garment. She said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, he turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you? And you say, who touched me? He looked around to see her who had done this thing, but the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, she came and fell down before him and, and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the other, excuse me, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and he saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the child, or excuse me, when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him, and they entered where the child was lying. He took the child by the hand, and he said to her, Talithi Kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl rose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. This is like the direct opposite or reverse of, of the story we saw a little while ago with Lazarus, where he said, he's not asleep, he's dead. And then here he says, she's not dead, she's asleep. Why? Because if you don't really know the Lord, the Bible talks about these mysteries and revelation and the Spirit giving us understanding. He's saying to all you people here that don't know me, she's just sleeping. You don't know I'm God. You don't know the power I have. This is between me and a mother and father of faith and a daughter who has passed away. And I'm about to go raise her from the dead and show them that they've placed their faith in the right place. And then he does it. But again, less obvious, but in many ways, just as if not more powerful is this woman who comes up in the middle of the story. Why does God keep doing this? He breaks into one story about death and resurrection with, with something that seems like it's not nearly as significant. She's just bleeding. But you know what happens if you run out of blood? You die. It's a slow death. It's a painful death. And she was going everywhere she could trying to hold on to her life and find healing. But she never came to Christ. When she finally did come, she came like the centurion with humility. She said, I'm not even worthy of being in your presence. I'm going to sneak up behind you and just touch your garment. When everybody else is thronging him. 
pushing him. Give me something. Bless me with something. Heal something. And she crawls up and touches the hem of his garment. And then that death sentence that she had that was eventually going to kill her, he says, no, life. Life. Why? Just because he wanted to help her or heal her? No. It's because she put her faith in him. Listen to what it says in verse 33. The woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Isn't that what Peter says later? What do we do if we've been cut to the heart? Repent. Repent means tell the whole truth about your sin. So when it says that she told the whole truth to Jesus, she came up and said, it was me who touched you. Here's why I touched you. Here's how long I've been bleeding. Here's all the people I went to for help that never helped me. I'm so sorry. Verse 34, Jesus said to her, daughter, you ain't a stranger anymore. You're not insignificant anymore. You're not unseen anymore. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. We want to rest in peace. <laughs> Listen to what he said to her. You're my daughter. The reason you've been healed is because you put your faith in me. You've died to all of your other means and methods and all the things that you've tried. You're laying all that down and you're saying, I'm the only one that can help you. You put your faith in me and I'm going to give you life. Go in peace. You can rest in peace. You never have to chase after life anymore. You were dying a slow death and you were bleeding out and you were chasing after life. And now, because you put your faith in me, you can rest. No more chasing. No more doctors. No more surgeries. No more risks. But we have to lay our life down. Isaiah, would you come? As we begin to pray and we begin to worship, uh, I want you guys just to think about your death certificate. Why don't you close your eyes? Why don't you bow your heads? And I really want you to think about this for just a few minutes, and we're going to release you guys. Do you have one this morning? Can you look back and remember when you laid your old life down? Can you look back where you said, God, you can have it all? Everything I had, every resource I have, everything I love, I lay it all down. I'm, I'm done. I'm willing to die. I'm ready to die. Signed your own name on it. You said, look, if there's, if there's any hope for me, it's got to be in being born again. It's got to be in being resurrected. It's got to be in starting over, not fixing what's already broken. I hear your word. I, I see what you're saying, God. I realize that I've got to take up my own cross. I won't be nailed to it. I won't be pinned down on it. I literally have to take up my own cross and lay my own life down that I can be raised as you were raised. When Jesus was raised in John 21, it says he showed up for a third time and showed himself to his disciples after he was raised. There was life after death. In Colossians 1.18, it says that he's the head of the body, which is the church, and we are the beginning. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. 
The church is made up of dead people who have been raised to life. Not broken people who are being made whole. Not blind people who are being made to see. Not hungry people who are being fed. Not broken who are being reconciled in their relationships. Dead people. He's the firstborn among the dead. And the church is only those who have died and been raised in newness of life. Mark 12, 27 says, He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. If you're here in this place, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You have not been invited to another church service, an opportunity to be motivated, to live a better life, a chance to be told to be more moral, You've come into this place this morning and if you're not saved, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you don't know him the way that that centurion knew him without ever actually seeing him before, if you haven't put your faith in him the way that that woman crawled up behind him and said, if I could just touch his garment, my life will be changed, that kind of faith. If you've never come out of death like Lazarus and heard the voice of God saying you're loosed go in peace that's the only invitation you're ever going to hear from the church are you ready to die you hold your death certificate in your hand this morning and you have a choice you can sign it when you breathe your last death or your last breath and die And if you wait till that moment to sign it, what's going to happen is your debt will be paid, but you have to pay it. You'll spend eternity in hell separated from God in eternal torment. Or you can sign it this morning right here in this place and say, man, I'd love for Jesus to pay my debt. I'm willing to lay my life down and start over. And the life that I now live, I'll live in Christ. That's always the choice. If you've been in the church and you thought you were dead, and the church thought you were dead, but it turns out you were sleeping, sign your death certificate this morning. If you haven't been in the church, and you're just hearing these things for the first time, don't pass over another opportunity. Just take it today. Sign the death certificate. Lay your old life down. Be forgiven of your sins. The Bible says that he loves you so much, he came to die for you. Before you love him, he loved you. But it's always the same choice. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Between you and God, if you're ready this morning, you've never done it before, you thought you did it, maybe, but you want to sign that, you want to lay your life down, you want to start over, would you raise your hand? You don't want to pay that debt. You don't want to be responsible for for that. Raise your hand. Hallelujah, Lord, I see you. Anybody else? I see you, brother. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else this morning? The debt can be paid. Have faith. He has all the resources. He's already died for you. Just raise your hand where you sit. Anybody else who join our brother this morning? Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. For the Christians here, in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, Paul says, I die daily. You ain't getting off the hook that easy. 
Thank God for the first person this morning that would say, I'm ready to die. I want to give my life to Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for our brother. Send your spirit as confirmation. But for the rest of us who are here, if you didn't say that today, I pray that it means you're already saved. And if you're already saved, can you say this morning that you die daily? Or have you forgotten what it really means to be born again? Think back to when you were so excited. You, you signed your death certificate. God gave you newness of life. You took that death certificate home and you, you pinned it on the wall that everybody would see it like a seal upon your arm. You said, I'm dead. The life I now live, I live in Christ. But are you dying daily or, or did it get dusty? And did it get taken down off the wall? Is it, is it in some drawer? Is it in your garage somewhere? You don't even remember what it's like to be dead and alive in Christ. If you're here and you want to get back to that, that dying daily, we're going to worship, we're going to sing this song, but the altar is open for those that want to come forward and get back to that process. You want to wipe off that death certificate. Remember how valuable it is. Remember that it cost Jesus his life in order to give it to you. We're going to sing this song that reminds us that he won't relent until he has it all. So if you want to hold on to things, stay in your seat. But if you know that there's some things that you need to give him this morning, I pray that you would come to the altar. Lord, we're here to worship you. We're here to serve you. We lay down our lives, Lord, that we could have newness of life, Lord. When you went to the cross, you said, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own and I will take it back up. And you did that, Lord. You proved to us, you showed us that you have the power. You have dominion over death. We ask this morning that we would be reminded and that we would die daily, Lord God. That we don't have to be afraid of laying things down. We don't have to be afraid of sacrificing. We don't have to be afraid of, of letting things go in our life. Because you always have something better for us. You'll take our sin and our death and you'll give us hope and you'll give us life. But we've got to die daily, Lord. Help us this morning to wipe off those death certificates. Be excited and thankful that we have them, Lord God. And this morning we die again. We lay down our lives again this morning. Whatever we've been holding on to, we leave it right here at your altar and we walk away free. Loosed and let go, Lord. Watch over your people. Minister to them down at your altar, Lord God. Meet them wherever they are. We love you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Fellowship, Lord, remind us there isn't any enemy out there, Lord God. But your power within us is greater than his, Lord God. Love has conquered death. Life has conquered death, Lord. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was nowhere you came to my rescue. From the grave I've been raised. When I needed a Savior to save me, Jesus, you made a way. listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings 
at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.